This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Are you afraid? You should be. I thought he was the man to lead us through the long night. The face will be added to the whole. You would spill blood in this holy place. The gods were mine. Show them what Lannisters are. And make no mistake. The dead are coming. Dragons do not do well in captivity. How do you know this? That's what I do. I drink. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, to the Winter is Coming, Game of Thrones podcast. I'm your host, Razor, and I'm here with some of the usual suspects. I'm here with Annie, Isis, and Corey Smith, second of his name. Uh, Corey's not won't be joining us this week, but that's okay, because Corey Smith will be hanging down for the Corys. Anyway, we're going to do something a little bit different this week. We're going to talk about only two locations as... Game of Thrones, Episode 9, Season 6, Battle of the Bastards only happened in two locations. So we're going to talk about each separate location from beginning to end. We're not going to bounce back and forth like the show likes to do. So let's start things off in Meereen with the mother of fucking dragons. And, man, did she show out this week. Isis, let me, let me hear how you feel about your girl, Danny. I absolutely loved her. Uh, it was really interesting to kind of see... Uh, how she came in there, you know, basically she's been out of pocket for a while and she comes home and her house is being rained upon by the masters uh, who want their, their slaves, basically. Uh, so, you know, shit's going bad. And of course, you know, Tyrion is trying to say, it's not that bad. It really isn't. It, but it really, really is. Um, and of course, you know, Danny, who I, I would like to adopt her as a Puerto Rican, like goes all like, I just want to rain hell upon them you know and and you see Tyrion kind of go wait a second let me tell you a little story we need to you know kind of look at history do you really want to be remembered as you know as uh, as the the crazy queen or anything like that so i'm mad queen. is a mad queen I, I thought it was really really great i love whenever the the two of them are um on screen but I love the fact that they didn't reveal what their plan was until it played out in front of us. And let me just say that I feel like Danny and Tyrion are like the Norman Schwarzkopf, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna date myself. Norman, 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 Norman of Game of Thrones because they had it. They had the fight via the air, the ground. Uh, now they have ships. I mean, it was like it, – it was just a total uh, domination 
uh, of of the situation. And so, and if you don't know who who Storm and Norman is, Google it. There's a Wikipedia page out there. Uh, but yeah, you goddamn millennials. I know. <laughs> uh, but it is an it was just an amazing. Um, wonderful i mean and i wasn't even expecting it i don't know if anybody else was i didn't expect us to go to marine i expected us to be up in the north uh in winterfeld the entire time and and at first i was kind of thrown off but i was like okay i'm gonna let let me let me see how this is gonna play out so. well any any we didn't really know that we were gonna split time until last week right like we were kind of thinking the whole episode was gonna be in the north until we got that tweet from some random Euro magazine that said uh, that we were actually going to be spending time in the arena a little actually, bit. Actually, it was uh, Joe wrote this from Vanity Fair, who uh, was the person who uh, tweeted out a picture from a uh, from a TV magazine um, in which there was a little sidebar which said, "Meanwhile in Marine," and we were like, "What do you mean, meanwhile in Marine?" Um, isn't this supposed to be a single location episode? Right. Hey, look, a twist. Um, I mean, seriously, up until that point, like the show had done a really good job in uh, in in keeping that on the down low. You know, they really did use our expectations against us, which is a thing the show has been doing basically in episode nine for six seasons now. So, uh, yeah. you know, it's just part of the course. Started with uh, Ned getting his head cut off. Yeah, I mean, they always use our expectations against us, and in this case, it was just our expectations that they had built. Um, but, you know, even numbered seasons, episode nine, battle is a single location episode. Well, you know what? Uh, not anymore. Well, at least it was a big battle. And Corey Smith, I have to ask you, uh, as, as a book fan, um, we got to see the the completion, the start and completion of the Battle of Fire and Ice in this episode. Um, let me get your thoughts on seeing, first of all, uh, Danny fulfill her role as the Mother of Dragons and have all three grown dragons raining fire down on her enemy. And um, are we wrapping up, Mirreen? Are we are we leaving in episode 10? What are, you, what are your thoughts, Corey? Yeah, I, I definitely, you know, like you guys said, that. I, you know, before the episode aired, we kind of thought it was just going to be the Battle of the Bastards. But, I, you know, looking back on it now, I like the symmetry of having the Battle of Fire and Ice in the same episode. I like, you know, kind of the offsets. Um, as far as, you know, Danny and the Dragons, I mean, I was, you know, watching last night, it's kind of hard to think of a movie where dragons looked better than they did last night. On, I mean, I, I instantly thought of Smaug from uh, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, and but even that, I mean, it's, you know, you look at it and you're like, okay, well, that was a how many millions of dollar Hollywood production and this was a TV right. show. And obviously. And by the way, by the way, I pronounced it Smaug because I watched The Hobbit and they pronounced it Smaug on The <laughs> Hobbit. So I can't get it out of my head now. Instead of saying Smog, I say Smaug now. Yeah, I'm yeah. Um, and, you know, the thing is, I really like the fact that they didn't show the full dragon in the shot. I thought that was a very effective way yes. of both being able to cut down on the actual cost of creating the dragon and yet making it feel like you were in an air battle. Well, you did get one shot of him whenever um, he he landed on the building above their heads. Yeah, but I mean, like, and... in the actual, like, battle where the other two had broken oh, yeah. out and they were going down okay. on the ship. Like, the fact that it was kind of like seeing a World War II dogfight except with dragons. And, yeah, we got to see Danny like pull up midair and hover there for a minute. I mean, she has mastery over the dragons, and that was a question that I was wondering about. Was we know she's got mastery over Drogon, but how much control did she have over Viserion and Rhaegal? Well, obviously, she's got full control. 
Yeah. yeah, I mean, you could definitely tell that they were kind of following Drogon's lead. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, they were looking up in the sky to watching Drogon fly it, over. That's Big Brother up there. They're like, oh, hey, we're going to wreck shop. This is awesome. Let's do it. And they just, you know, started letting loose. And it was cool to see all three dragons being used in unison for something other than, you know, just lighting one person on fire like we had seen previously. You know, it was usually one person at a time other than the, in the, you know, the great arena um, last true. season. So, you know, I thought the entire sequence was incredibly well done. I mean, hats off to everybody that had a part of that scene because it just, it worked really well. And like you mentioned, I loved when in the very beginning you could see Drogon flying up in the background, but the camera oh, yeah, winging focused down on to... him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he was just kind of, if you're paying attention, you could see him, but if not, he's just kind of in the background and then next thing you know, he's coming up behind them, and you're like, all right, you guys are all screwed. You know, basically, <laughs> y'all are, you know, time to say your prayers. So I thought the entire thing just worked really, really well. Um, I thought Tyrion, you know, the first opening scene where Tyrion's trying to explain, like, hey, Mom, it's okay. We just need to, you know, a little touch-up paint here, and, you know, we'll vacuum <laughs> up, and it will be good. I, I kept thinking, it's plot exposition. It has to go somewhere, but this is not the time to explain the entire season to Danny. <laughs> Yeah. But, you know, uh, I, just, I was just, just going to say, and I and I like the respect that Tyrion showed to Danny in that scene, because obviously Tyrion isn't usually bowed that easily. So I definitely enjoyed seeing him realize he had made a mistake and. Yeah. yeah, he realized he had he had he had he had unleashed the masters when he tried to make peace, and I thought maybe we'd see some problems come of releasing the red god religion in Mirene, but really it's the masters that came back and, and wreaked havoc. And Isis, I have to ask you this: How did you feel watching all three dragons uh, raining fire and hell down that one ship? I mean, like, they torched that ship. And they showed the uh, the the slave the slaver ship sailors like going up in, in like ash and smoke, and I was just like, "Holy shit!" I was, I my my jaw hit the floor. I don't. I how did was, you? F- I was so impressed with with that whole entire scene. Again, the the only thing I could think of was that she was she was doing this with some military precision that the air force would be proud of. And I'm talking about this Air Force now, <laughs> and uh, and I just thought it was amazing how she was, you know, the, here they they're lobbing these balls of fire um, into Mirene and everything, and she just stands there like the angel that she is, and the dragon is just flapping its wings and then just lays waste to it. But I'm going to tell you, and and again, I really I really enjoyed that part, but I kind of expected it as soon as I saw her and the dragons go after the the boats. Right. What I was more impressed with was with the the how do i say this the debonair you know kind of well yeah whatever kind of attitude that gray worm Masande, oh, that was so and and Tyrion. because let me so tell casual. you let me tell it was very casual it was very matter of fact it wasn't like yeah we're quaking in our boots or anything and i felt like that was the first time since gray worm had gotten stabbed and gotten hurt that he was able to kind of fall into that leadership role again, you know. He's back. He, he's back. The general is back. Grey Worm is back, and I f- it felt so good to look at the the face Masande's face with like she had like a little <laughs> smile going on, and then Tyrion, who is the ultimate good cop 
out of the bad cop, good cop kind of situation and, and tells the guy, you know, the other two guys are, or get their nut, you know, necks cut off and everything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he's like, they're there. It's going to be okay. Now you go back and tell them what you saw. <laughs> and it was- well, I, w- I want to point out that that's the same guy that, uh, he, that, Tyrion and Jorah were uh, turned over to. He bought them mm-hmm. as slaves last season, and so Tyrion and Jorah f- were going to fight for him as uh, as uh, gladiators in the pit. And then that's when Danny saw uh, Jorah and Tyrion, and of course Jorah went back to him and fought for that guy. Also in the books, he's the guy. His, his character is 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 described as the Yellow Whale, the Piss Prince, or whatever. He's this huge, gigantic, fat guy, uh, just massive and. Um, He's so fat and so disgusting that he he pisses himself, so he's called the piss the piss prince, I think, or the yellow prince, something like that. It's pretty disgusting how they describe him. Anyway, that guy he actually owns Tyrion for a while in the books, and um, so it's kind of neat to see Tyrion in the show walk over to him, put his hand on his shoulder, and tell him, "Look, <laughs> if not for the grace of myself, Missandei, and, and Grey Worm, you'd be dead too." So just take that back to everybody else and tell him that <laughs> it was kind of nice. But Annie, I want to ask you this. Uh, did you notice how Tyrion turned his like turned his head before Grey Worm, Grey Worm delivered the, the killing blow and like kept his head turned away the entire time? Is that an indicative of Tyrion's story arc completely over six seasons? Like he's not much of a guy for violence, and he's never he's more, been a guy for violence. That's not right, the like, thing. You know what? His place is the one to walk up to somebody and basically silver tongue them and talk them into you know go go back and see what you and tell people what you saw here today. That's what he does. That's his right. role. Um, and his role is is twofer. It's that, and it's keeping Danny from going insane. I mean, you know, yeah. there there was a moment, you know, you know, you guys were saying where she, you know, she was ready to be the Mad Queen, and he was like, "Dude, you know, back. that's that, that that's his job. He does a very good job with it too, and I I think that that's part of what makes their relationship so good, you know. And then we saw it again when um. When uh, later on, when we went back to Marine, I mean, we had two scenes in Marine. That was the other thing. Mm. We didn't just have the mm-hmm. battle. We also went to Marine again to see Yara and Theon, you know. And, you know, I had forgotten, actually, that, Tia, that, that, that Theon and Tyrion had ever met. I had to go back and look it up on YouTube because Dan and I were talking about it in chat one day. And we were talking about the possibility of Theon and Yara fl- uh, sailing the fleet before – before that even happened, we were talking about the possibility of the Iron Fleet sailing to Meereen, and he said – Dan asked me if they had ever interacted, and I remember in season one that Tyrion had rode back through Winterfell from the Wall to uh, deliver the plans for the special saddle for Bran. Oh, right. And and then uh, while they're there, Theon is all cocksure, and he's he's uh, giving tips to, to Tyrion on how to find – Northern whores, and that's when that's when he takes that's when Roz goes to the capital. So uh, you know he's like, hey, go find Roz. She'll go do something special for you. And then Tyrion flicks a couple of golden coins to him and says, hey, next time you're in in the brothels, tell him Tyrion sent you. So like there was a couple there was a, there was some back and forth jokes going through Tyrion and and uh, Theon, but Theon actually did call him an imp several times and made fun of his height. And I loved how Tyrion addressed that, and it was a callback to season one, all the way back, back when Tyrion was coming back to Winterfell. But um, but it kind of it kind of made for me, excuse me, uh, it made it made me feel like Tyrion 
was kind of being petty at that moment. Really, I mean, like, literally. It, but he gets to be. He gets to be petty. I know. I just, I guess, I mean, the entire time I'm watching <laughs> He's earned this, the right. But, you I'm know, that's of, the thing is that that's where, you know, and that's where Danny gets to be like, no, these are friends. You know, yeah. in the same way where he was like, no, we can't be insane. She's like, no, we can't. We have to forget our pettiness over silly things that happen in Westeros. Like yeah. that's the, that the two of them balance each other out very nicely that way. Well, and I what? felt like that Yara and her mm. brother balance each other out really well, too. And in that dynamic was really apparent when all four of them were together that, you know, she she was looking, or I should say Yara was looking to her brother to say, hey, should we make this agreement? He nods his head. And even Danny mm-hmm. looks at Tyrion and says, like, should I make this agreement, you know? And he nods his head. It was... I was going to bring that point up. Good good, good idea bringing that up. I was going to bring that up. Yeah, it was, it was just an amazing kind of, you know... Um, kind of mixture of, of these four people who come from completely um, different uh, backgrounds, but, they're, but mm-hmm. they all have, like I guess Danny said, we all have fucked up families. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to ask Corey. We all Corey, have fucked Corey, up families you this, and we want to be better. <laughs> let me ask Corey this question. Uh, how do you feel about the Ironborn agreeing to, well, the future leader of the Ironborn agreeing to no more reaving, raping, or pillaging? Yeah, I mean, I think Yara, you kind of got the sense, you know, when Yara, back at the King's Moot, and even when Yara was talking with Balon before he died, that she was kind of ready for some sort of change. The old way's not working. Right, like, we, we never left our mark. All we've ever done is kind of raid and pillage, and then we get pushed back and smashed by the, you know, by the people from the mainland. So I think she kind of had seen the writing on the wall, and was ready to do something different, even if she might not have known what form that might take. Mm-hmm. So I think you saw when Danny was, you know, saying, okay, well, no more raping, roving, pillaging. I don't really know why roving would necessarily be a bad thing. But anyways. <laughs> she said reaving, too. Yeah. Did she say roving and reaving? Yeah, she I think said she roving and reaving. So Yeah, it was weird. Maybe she messed up her lines. Neither here nor there. But I, I think Yark kind of understood, okay, you know, that old way wasn't working. Let's try something new. Let's try and, you know, we can be independent without being, you know, basically pirates. Yeah. And so I think that, I think that you kind of saw the beginning of, you know, even when you talk about the greater continent of Westeros, you know, when Danny remarks that, well, if the other kingdoms ask, you know, we'll at least consider it, you know, because Yar wasn't demanding it, she was asking, and I think that, you know, maybe Danny kind of saw that might be the way forward, is to let people leave if they want to leave, as long as they promise to kind of be peaceful about it. So, well, are we, let me ask you, Isis, are you, are we buying the uh, Danyara ship? <laughs> okay, let me tell you, um, I, I don't, I don't know, but let me tell you this. I felt that Yara was very impressed with Danny, more impressed than she thought she would be. And I think I think Danny was impressed with Yara as well. Exactly. I think it, the feeling was mutual, and they had mutual respect for each other. Um, of course, I loved how Yara was, you know, kind of like real, you know, like, hey, you know, I'm I'm not looking for a commitment or anything like that, but I'll take what I can get. Yeah, was, I'll take what I can get. Yeah, it basically. was just like, oh my gosh, Yara, you're flirting with her, and 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 I love how Danny just kind of took it with stride, like, okay, she, she smiled coyly. Yes, and basically. but 
I don't think that she was like, hey, yeah, let's get it on or anything. But uh, but I wouldn't I mean, I wouldn't pa- I wouldn't be put pa- uh, past it if it did happen. And if it did happen, then great. I have no no problem. Dario Nohaini is uh, is just going to get <laughs> cast aside and, uh, you know, it is what it is. But I, I just I felt that their relationship is more going to be about business. I mean, there there might be a little bit of entertainment there, and I, like I said, I wouldn't I wouldn't be opposed to it. Yeah, don't don't discount the pleasure part. Yeah, of Yeah, I'm that not gonna. I mean, that's it's gonna take a long time. You know, there's a lot of things that need to happen. But I love the way Yara was just like, you know, I I I don't want to become the the queen of everything. You know, I just want your help to you know kill a, an uncle or two. <laughs> yeah, murder an uncle or two. I like that. Yeah, people in the iron people in the iron irons really like murdering. Yeah, well. They like- and they at these at least they're honest about it. That's what the I like about from it. Dickhead Island. Yeah, I just like that the, that she was honest about it, and I love the fact that Tyrion was quick to correct and say, "I'm not fit to lead. I'm here for her." And I was yeah. like, I think Danny loved that even more. Now I right. do have a question for all of you three. Mm-hmm. Danny was dressed in black. I don't ever think I've ever this seen. This is Annie's department. Uh, okay, and actually, I... um, it was very, very dark blue. Is what it was. Um, uh. not black. Um, now you know, Danny's color scheme for many years was blue, and it was kind of a lighter blue. So this is a return to that kind of ruling. One of the things I had noticed when she went to the all white outfits, um, you know, that was basically kind of her losing the Dothraki altogether and becoming losing a part of herself in a way because she'd been always in blue and white. So here she is, and she's in this very, very dark blue color, and I feel like that that's kind of that she's found herself again. What does she say in the books uh, when, when she's taken away part of that self and she's, she's becoming the queen of Meereen? She says she's putting on the floppy ears or putting on the rabbit ears, something like that. Yeah, floppy, some kind of, floppy ears. Or, or queen rabbit has to have her floppy ears or something along those lines. Yeah, there's, she always, and she, said, she, she refers to that several times when she's talking about being the queen of Meereen. So I think that's a good uh, callback or good, a good analogy for what her changing her wardrobe is. Like, she's gone to this darker color that looked black to a lot of people. It was, I didn't even know it was dark blue. Uh, so, it, you know, it, to me it looked like she was taking on a much, serious, much more serious role. Like, she's ready – action, you know, it's time, it's time to do something. But uh, I want to go back to something before we, we switch out of Meereen because we talked a lot about just about everything that happened in Meereen. But, uh, Annie, let me ask you. I, when I'm watching – I'm watching the the Battle of Marine, the Battle of Fire, and I'm seeing, you know, Danny fly through the skies and I see all of a sudden we see a few sons of the harpy out in front of the gates slaughtering innocent innocent bystanders. And I thought for a second, why show this? Why are we showing Sons of the Harpy? Like they're out in front of the gates and what are these idiots doing out here in the front of the gates? Why aren't they protected behind the gates? And then you hear that scream. Uh and I instantly go back to the the book version uh the description of the dothraki they're called the dothraki screamers did you think about that whenever you heard that scream did you think dothraki screamers um actually what i thought was that this was all of danny's work for this that she had done over the season now coming into play that she had basically gathered all of these troops and here she was unleashing them all at once so we were finally seeing the power that danny has 
um, as kind of a, a kind of a, a one of the things that uh, uh, the uh, director who directed this directed Hard Home last year and Hard Home was kind of a prelude to what we're going to be able to see the White Walkers do in the grand battle. And they right. hired him to do this episode, and I felt like, in a way, this was a little bit of a preview of what Danny will be able to do when she gets to Westeros. Mm. Yeah, I agree. She's got it. She's got the land, air, and the sea locked up right now. She's got all the armed forces. Um, uh, notice that she now has exactly the same amount of ships she did at the beginning of the season. That got burned. I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry, Corey. First of all, his name is not here because I'm sure he would be very, very irritated to realize that. But when when they said he, we have about a hundred ships again, I was like, really? So basically, y'all really did burn those ships because you didn't plan on bringing the Iron Islanders here. And when we went to eight seasons, you decided to bring the Island Islanders here. So you burned the ships so they could bring the same <laughs> amount of ships back again. You couldn't, have, you couldn't have at least had them bring a few more this time. No, that's the exact same amount. Okay. Well, I have I have a question. Um, and since we're we're about to leave Marine, um, do one, do we think that we'll see Marine in the last in the last episode? Yes, oh, yes. we definitely will. We definitely, yeah, we definitely will. will. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. good. I, I thought they basically put a pin in it for the entire season. I, I felt that way. Like, Danny's got to have her hero moment. Well, she already, she, but I felt like she did that this episode. So I felt a, like yeah. there's a there's a shot in the trailer at the very end of her and Tyrion sitting together in the throne room. So Marine, there's also a shot of her holding Dario's head. Yeah, Dario. Yeah, I did see that. But so I mean, we are I, we are definitely going back. Okay, and then two. Do you think? Okay, so. Are we going to go fight Yara and Theon's uncle first before we leave Marine? Or I mean, like, what are we? Are we going? Uh, to, no, are we going to I, I think I think we're going straight. Okay, just geographically, we yeah. are going straight over to Westeros and the landing, the the most practical landing spot. If she wants to spend the least amount of time on the water for the sake of the Kalazar, is to land in Dorne. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that I mean, makes- that's just that's just that's just geography. Okay, and so if she, go ahead. Game of Thrones is scouting uh, another Canary Islands, right? Unless yeah, she goes Canary east, for, uh, she could so. she could go east, but we're not. We don't know if the world is actually round or flat here, so it's just best if she goes west. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean seriously, do you do you really want the entire seasick Kalazar on those boats for months? No, <laughs> you want to go the shortest distance you possibly can she, for the sake of the horses. Just do it. So yeah, she needs she needs to dial up Littlefinger and Barrow. Here's and tell my question though: Is anybody from the Marine crew going to get left behind in Marine? Like intentional. That's a good question. As some man. sort I, of, you know, governor or, or whatever, just to kind of. That would probably they, be Milisan. That would probably be um, Missandei and uh, Grey Worm if anybody gets left behind. That's what I was. But I just can't. Thinking. I can't see. I can't see her doing that though. I can't see her leaving the general of the Unsullied and her most closest advisor behind no, as she goes to the seventeen. Yeah, you know, I, I don't just, know. She has to leave somebody there for practicality because if she takes her entire crew. I just see it going right back Rem- to you know slavery. Remember, she's got she's got on the show she's got the freedmen who have a council, and I kind of feel like yeah, she's going to leave true. the council in charge, the council of the freedmen in charge. Yeah, I can see I that. I mean, she can that way you have the named characters like Masande and Grey Worm going to the Seven Kingdoms with her and seeing all that happen. Uh, Do you think that the Red Woman 2.0 is going to go with them as well? I think so. I think she'll attach herself. I mean, they they went through the whole big deal of in- introducing Kinvara. She has a name. It's not like she's random priestess number two. 
she's got she's got a name, Kinvara, so I I feel like she'll attach herself to that to that and you know, if Davos doesn't have his way in, in episode 10, <laughs> he doesn't get, he doesn't get Melisandre killed, then uh maybe we'll have a meeting of the of the red priestesses. And even with Thoros, even with Thoros traveling north with a brotherhood without banners, we have we may have a, a trifecta of uh, red god priest and priestesses meeting together. We don't See, know. I kind of took that shot of of Danny and Dario, kind of look like they're having the breakup conversation. Maybe she's and saying it, goodbye to Dario. That's what I kind of thought. Like maybe Dario and the second son stay behind to keep the peace, along with well, the council. What did Tyrion say? What did Tyrion say? You can't. You can't. He told Dario that uh, she could not bring Dario with her. Right. She said, you, I, "You can't bring Mormont because he's he's a traitor, and you can't bring Dario because he's he's a lowborn right. mercenary leader." So, yeah. you, so I could see her leaving know. him behind as like the muscle for whatever council she leaves. I hope not. I like I like the I Dario do too, character. but I just it seems like they're having a breakup conversation in that shot. So that's true. Plus, he kind of seems like the de facto leader of the of the the uh, horde. Of the Dothraki horde now, like he was leading the charge, he got that decapitation like a polo player. Yeah, and he's so, always uh, he's always been the leader of the second sons, so I could see them saying, "All right, we don't have enough room. Let's leave the second sons. It's I don't know, two thousand men or something, and they can kind of be the you know the muscle for whatever council of freedmen she leaves behind." So I don't it know. could happen. I hope maybe hopefully she'll leave back the the cheaper version of the Unsullied. <laughs> <laughs> The, the, the discount unsullied. Maybe she'll leave them behind. But uh, are you talking about like the Dollar Tree version? <laughs> the Dollar Tree version, yeah. Like the guys who were guarding the masters. Maybe she'll leave them behind to be the muscle. But um, let's 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 put a pin in Mirene, and we'll talk about it next episode in the finale. But let's go to the north, where my God, the Battle of the Bastards finally happened, and it was as gruesome and as terrifying and as bloody as I expected. It was. It 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 it, it definitely um, felt like it lived up to the hype. And uh, Annie, I want to go to you first because you've been writing about the Battle of the Bastards. You've been writing about the Return of Jon Snow. You've been writing about this episode for so long. Let's get your instant take on how you felt about that parlay where we had the Lords of the North behind Jon and Ramsay with the Umber and Karstark. How did you feel about that parlay? Well, what what was your what was going through your mind as you're listening to that? Um, that he wasn't listening. That that it was very clear that he had not been listening to Sansa, and that right. he basically did not understand the person on the other side of that parlay. That he was in a way. Once again, being Ned Stark's son. Oh my and God! There was, was so much Ned Stark, and and that you know, and well, there was so much Ned Stark in him the entire run up to the battle. You know, his whole thing, you know, to Sansa about I'll protect you. You know, and Sansa's like, no one can protect me. You know, this is this is the talk that everyone has always given me, and I know better now. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and one of the things actually that uh, one of the things I've been asked several times today by people um, talking about the episode is why when he, he she says we need, when he, when he says there's no time to get more men and she's like we need more men why didn't she tell him about littlefinger i think in that scene she almost does but she doesn't trust littlefinger to actually show up right and so she doesn't tell john because she doesn't want to tell him that this is coming and then be wrong i kind of felt that way too i kind of took it that way and i've seen other people say that she didn't tell john because she wanted all the power that we're seeing a new Darth 
Sansa. I, I don't think so. I really think, I think that this was that, that this was more cautious Sansa. That this mm. is I don't trust people Sansa. She doesn't trust Littlefinger. Littlefinger could have said, "Of course, I'm on my way." And she's like, "Well, until you're here, you're I don't I don't know that you're on your way." And she doesn't she definitely doesn't trust John because he's too much like Ned and she knows that Ned would have charged head full in. Yeah, and and, and and you know, watching John make every single mistake after she told him we just, oh. My wife and I have coined the term uh, Ned Stark mistake, and we, we we use it for everything. Like, hey, that was your Ned, that was your Ned Stark mistake. Don't make it again. You know, like <laughs> you don't get many mistakes like that. Don't do it again. Uh, this was John. This was John going full stupid Ned Stark. Full well, full Ned Stark. You never go full Ned oh, Stark. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm going to defend Jon Snow a little bit, okay? Okay. okay. Well, he's, uh, he's your little cinnamon bun. I know well, you no, got no, it. It's not even from that. I'm looking at it. I, I was in the military for many years, and I'm looking at more from a military aspect for it. And I'm not forgiving him for the mistakes that he did make because he did make mistakes. He got, he, you know. He got thousands he, of men killed. He did get thousands of men killed. He did go emotional when it came to Rickon. And let me just say that the entire time that Rickon is running, I'm like, zigzag, motherfucker, zigzag. I was typing in all caps, run in a serpentine pattern, run in a serpentine pattern. Literally, I kept on screaming it to myself because I'm the only one in the room. And, um, and of course, he didn't hear me. And so he ran in a straight line, and he ended up getting shot as soon as he got right up to his brother. I would have liked uh, – I thought the child should have the, – the actor should have gotten some last words into his brother. Oh, you know, have you noticed Art Parkinson actually hasn't said a word yes. all season? Yes. He actually never said a word. We never got to hear his post-puberty voice. That boy may have had like a half a page worth of dialogue in the how many years the show's been on. I mean, I feel bad for him, but he's still getting paid the same, so I'm not that. I don't feel that bad for him. But I, I would have been some some last words would have been nice, you know, something. Did you, did you notice the? Uh, okay, keep it on your topic, Isis. I want to say this really quick. Just interject. Um, I saw this on Reddit today. Um, the bulging crosses that were burning on either side, and Rickon's running down that one tunnel between the two between the burning crosses, they're spaced out on both sides three times. That was actually looked like it was used as markers for the for the um, distance for the markers, arrows, yeah, distance markers. Uh, so for the range guys, so and like Ramsey, he's pulling back his bow right, and he's he's firing the first shot. He knows he's gonna miss the second shot. It's a no look, and this is why I'm gonna miss the character of Ramsey. And maybe it's just Ewan Rion playing Ramsey. But uh, is my mic better, guys? I'm sorry if I cut up the mic or not. Can you guys hear me? It's kind of fuzzy. Okay, well I apologize for that. Um, if I, if I cut completely out, let me interrupt me. But um, it's getting worse. Yeah. Oh, oh. Okay, can you guys hear me now? Am I clear? No, no. Okay, well. I, you know what, Isis, go ahead and talk about the Battle of the Bastards. I'll get my mic. Back. Okay. Um, something that I, just from a military standpoint, uh, I wanted to bring up was the fact that, you know, as a great leader, you have to have all the information who's going to be fighting. And I understand that Sansa may have not known if Littlefinger was going to show up with the Army of the Vale and things like that. But a, a little bit of, you know, FYI, this could be happening, um, can make the world of dif difference. So let's, I, I, I do agree that Jon Snow does have blood on his hands uh, because he got emotional uh, and didn't, and right. made an emotional decision. But at the same time, I feel like Sansa 
also owns up to some of that because she did know that there were probably going to be some more men available. And, um, and, and she did in that tete-a-tete that they were having, um, with, you know, John, John and, and uh, Sansa, I thought that was really revealing because they both brought up very good points. You know, they both had really, really great points. But at the end of the day, you know, you have to kind of listen, even if the person doesn't know military strategery. Uh, did you like that? That was a, a callback to strategery. Did you like that? I know. It's a, I liked it. <laughs> um, if you don't, you know, you don't have a strategic military mind that you have to listen to the people uh, that have the best human intel. And that's what Sansa had. She had that human intel um, to, to provide him. She couldn't give him really anything, you know, like, okay, he's going to do X, Y, and Z. But know that he's going to try to knock you off of your game. And he likes to play games with people. And Let's, uh, let's, go, back, let's go back to the parlay real quick, if, we okay. don't, if you don't mind. Uh, and I want to ask, uh, Annie, what you thought about who stole, who stole a parlay scene? I want to say it was Liana Mormont. Oh, Liana Scott. Mormont, absolutely. And you know what? <laughs> I actually was I actually went through the battle very slowly twice afterwards trying to figure out if she was alive because I thought that she might have died and I couldn't find her. And I was like, she's my favorite character. I have to find proof that she's alive. Um, I don't think she would have gotten the mix. I don't think she, I don't think her any because uh, you know Sansa stayed back. I don't think any of the women folk came. I, I, I really kind of hope. I really kind of hope not. But we haven't actually seen any evidence that. I kind of feel like if she had died, they would have like made it a big thing, like Carsey last year in the right. in the in the hard home. But at the same time, like she is so my favorite character. Like her face, facing down Ramsey was just like you know she understood that this guy was gonna play games. Well, right. I felt like her RBF resting bitchy face was just <laughs> absolutely epic. Like, she's got that nailed down to a T. And let me tell you, I feel sorry for any man that marries her because she only has to give him that look, and he will get in line straight and lose his heart on at the same time. <laughs> so, let me... Okay, so, we think Liana Mormont. We can all agree she stole that scene. She was pretty awesome. Um, she didn't but, say uh, anything. I thought, Corey, I thought Santa... I thought her line about, you know, you're going to die you're gonna tomorrow, die. sleep tight. I was like, damn. She Santa. dropped it. That was her first. Yeah, mic and she's like, all right, I'm out. I said what I got to say. Well, she had like three mic drop moments, and one of the mic drop moments, she didn't even talk. She just had a look. Yeah. Well, didn't you feel like that was kind of a take back to Cersei, how Cersei has really good lines, and then she just like walks away? I felt like she maybe actually have learned something in Westeros, um, you know, with dealing with with uh, Cersei, and and that's what it kind of reminded me because it was very unlike her mother. It was very like uh, Cersei. Indeed, I I think she's learned something from all of her captors, I guess you want to call them. She's learned something from each one of them. But um, let's get to the tent, and we had the battle. We had the the battle talk, and. Um, but I guess John has lieutenants around him, and Corey, uh, did you did you feel like they were making fun of Tormund a little bit too much in this episode? I mean, the first comment about the the pincer movement, I I felt that was kind of a little bit more for the audience's sake than to kind of make fun of Tormund. Um, you know, because they're yeah. they're kind of calling back to, you know, when Stannis got annihilated. I also thought that it was kind of a it kind of, in a way, justified how easily Stannis got 
wiped out last season, which I wasn't particularly happy with. So it was kind of cool to see, like, okay, yeah, he they nailed him from both sides. They did a pincer movement with their horses. Makes a little more sense why Stannis went down so easy, but... They explained it nice. Yeah, which is, I mean, they did it a season later, but, you know, either <laughs> way. Um, I didn't necessarily think so. I mean, I think it's appropriate to, you know, Tormund's character. He's not, you know, he's not been in an army. They, you know, the wildlings are not an army. They're just a bunch of guys who fight together. It's not like they go out and they drill and they practice formations or they, you know, they have discipline or anything like and that. And I think people have forgot. I think people have forgotten that. And maybe that's why they did it so much. This yeah. episode. Like they talked about the pincer move and then they made fun of the demon thing. Well, actually, like, hold on. I do want to say, don't talk about metaphorical demons to a man who has fought white walkers. Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> of course he's going to take you serious. Well, and I was going to say Davos actually saw a shadow demon and like he, that's what I said. <laughs> I just think that I didn't mention that, but anyway. Yeah. He saw a shadow demon come out of her, uh, out of the red woman's hoo ha. So, yeah, <laughs> that really happened. <laughs> but uh, I liked I liked the line between Davos and 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 Tormund where he says um, uh, he says, uh, "What so what do you do before a fight if you're not gonna come drinking? I walk until I shit my guts out." And then he says, "Happy shitting." That was a <laughs> that was so perfect. You man. know, uh, Tormund is, is. We record this podcast on Monday, so uh, Tormund is my man crush Monday uh, for today. <laughs> he he really truly is a simple man, and and you have to talk to him in really really simple terms, uh, which I didn't. You know, I didn't take offense to. I mean, like Corey uh, Smith said that you know you have to. You know, he, he's not a military kind of guy. He just knows how to fucking wreck dicks. And that's great. And I love that about him. Um, what I felt was really interesting was back in the tent with um, with John and the Red Priestess. That conversation to me was the most interesting because what happens in the battle. And so I know that Corey wants to talk about that scene, correct? Yeah, yeah Corey, so, you there? Sorry, sorry, I'm mute. Um, yeah, I mean – you know, that, that tent scene was, you know, them preparing for the battle and making the plans and all. That was that was all fine and dandy. But I like the, you know, afterwards when it's just John and Sansa. And Sansa is pleading with John in, in a way that makes perfect sense for Sansa. But then on the flip side, when you see it from John's point of view, she just sounds kind of like a girl. You know, she sounds like a little. She sounds right. like the petulant child that Sansa was when he saw her before he left. Right, Winterfell. and so you kind of you're in that situation, and you're like, John, listen to Sansa. But on the flip side, you understand why John. She's not giving him anything really to go on, you know, because she can't express to him that listen, you know, Ramsay wants you to mess up. He wants you to fall into his plan. And of course, like John's, she like, was literally she was literally begging him. She put her hands together in a begging motion, right? She, 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 to you know, they all she they also don't have the language for what it is that 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 kind of psychological torture. They don't have the language for it. She doesn't have the language to explain to John what it was that he did to her. You yeah. know, like she it, doesn't know how to explain head games or yeah. mind games or anything like yeah. that. Or what and happened so, to Reek? I mean, right. that that was absolutely exactly. you know. A, I mean, the, Reek being the person who he did it the longest to, um, 
I felt like that, yeah, she couldn't explain it. She couldn't really put it into words. And, and when you're talking about a military kind of person who's, this is what they do all the time, when someone cannot explain it to you, like A, B, and C, then you instantly discount what they have to say. You know, I mean, I, I hate to say that, but it's true. If you cannot put it into terms that I understand, then I am, I can't, I can't plan for something that you yourself cannot explain. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, this was also another this was also another moment of Jon Snow being Ned Stark's son. He said or Ned Stark's nephew. Ha 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 ha. Anyway, <laughs> um he being raised by Ned Stark. Uh he said what have I been doing my whole life playing with broomsticks? Like he got all, you know, he got all he got defe- he got defensive. Yeah. And you know what? I think sometimes I I I like when he does stand up for himself and he gets Excuse me, I'm drinking. Um, big surprise. <laughs> um, I like when he gets def- defensive and stuff like that because he does need to kind of stand up for himself. He's been so segregated from the rest of the Starks and everybody else, especially being in Castle Black, that I felt like he really did need to do that. I felt like he did feel bad afterwards. He had this argument with Sansa because he does not want to argue with his sister, you know, even after Sansa told him. Look, Rickon is gone. He may not oh he may be still alive, but he he is gone. He, I wanted to I wanted to I wanted to talk to you guys about that because that's been brought up a lot today. I've seen it on several websites. Um, the fact that Sansa was able to so coldly separate herself from Rickon, like now, granted, she hadn't seen Rickon in what five you know since season one, however many years it is in, on the show that she hadn't seen Rickon, but she was able to coolly with a cold. I don't know, swiftness, cut herself off from Rickon. Like, he's going to die. That's a, that's a thing that she's learned from Ramsay. She, she, she's learned that from Ramsay and I think Littlefinger as well. Mm-hmm. She's taken emotion out of it. She took emotion out of that, and she said, listen, this is about business. We have to take care of Ramsay and kill him, and you can't worry about Rickon. And what did, what did John do? He threw it all the caution to the wind, and he rode his horse full charge to try to rescue Rickon, which I don't blame him for. I think had, had I been faced with that same situation, I would have jumped on my horse and tried to rescue my little brother as well. But And what did he do? He found himself right within range that the arrows were right going to rain range. down on him. And instead of turning the horse around, he stayed there and charged and then got his horse killed, and then he almost died himself. Well, at that point, you're committed. <laughs> at that point, you're committed, you're I guess. committed but to it. But, that, that was anyway, but let's, go, let's go back really quick because you mentioned something with Melisandre and John talking, and I, I want to talk about this. He says to her, don't bring me back, and her response is, I've got to try. And it doesn't matter that you're the commander of this army. It doesn't matter that I'm in your camp. If you die… I'm going to try to bring you back. That says something about Melisandre's character. We've said a lot this season that Melisandre has been defeated, that she's a shell of her former self. And yeah, she may not be this proud, haughty, you know, but she used to be this haughty princess, uh, priestess of the Red God, but she is still Melisandre, and she still believes in the Red God. And if Jon falls, she's going to try to bring him back. And I think we saw at the end of this episode as she's standing on the, battle, the battlements of Winterfell, watching the, uh, the Bolton flag fall and the Stark flag rise, she got that smile back. Did you guys notice that? She smirked again. And we haven't seen that smirk in a long time. Uh, now, it may, it may all go away next episode. We don't know. Well, but uh, I, felt, I, I felt that Melisandre 
you know, when she was saying, like, I have to at least try and, you know, I don't answer to you and, you know, I answer to, to my God. And I thought it was really telling how John was just like, what kind of God, you know, would bring me back just to kill, you know, basically. It's the God we have. But, that was a great and, line. And it was, a, it was an amazing have. line because Melisandre, we haven't heard crap. She has not had a line in, what, four or five episodes? Not one line. Like, she may be in the scene, but she has nothing to say. And so I thought that was really telling um, the fact that that happened. Now, I felt that there's a parallel where um, – and, and I'm, I'm probably getting real deep in this, and, and people are going to be like, she's freaking crazy. That's okay. That's what um, we have this podcast but for. I Preach. felt that when John is being crushed during the battle – that and then he he pops out like a freaking daisy like like a baby out of a vagina it was just like he was rebirthed like he, he actually he actually um there's an interview with Kit Harrington online and he actually called that the rebirth scene uh, it looked well, like and it. it's also it's also a huge callback to what and didn't he mention this in the same interview where Danny is being raised up yes, on the Yes he on mentioned the hand. that that from season 2 where she's being raised up by the hands of all the people yes but I felt so, – but, uh, but real quick, and I just want to make this point. I felt that when he got stabbed at the wall, he almost kind of like he, – he saw this coming – I'm not a mile away, but he, when he saw it, it was about to happen. He, he didn't fight it. He just kind of gave up and everything, and this one he actually fought to live. And right. that to me was the most striking that Melisandre didn't have to bring him bring him back. He brought himself back, and, and then he was reborn. Like I said, a newborn baby taking its first first breath. It was just, it was so amazing that um, that he saved himself. Whereas he told Melisandre, you know, if I die, don't bring me back. He saved. Any, he saved mm-hmm. any. Annie and I talked about this last night. If you let's go ahead and talk about that crush scene so we can get it out of the way because I'm already starting to get anxiety talking about oh, it. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm super claustrophobic. And when John went down, I said to my wife, "He's about to get crushed." And she's like, "No, they're not going to kill Jon Snow again." I'm like, "Yeah, he's about to die." I thought I literally thought they were going to kill Jon Snow just for a second. My lizard brain took over and I thought Jon Snow was going to die. So and, I, I, I am I am barely five feet tall, and um, <laughs> I live in DC, and um. A few times in my teenage years, I went down to the mall to see the fireworks. And there were times when I would literally be in a crowd where every single person was taller than me and there was no space around me and I couldn't breathe. And that has happened to me. So that was a very hard scene for me to watch. It also was a very disjointed scene for me to watch. It was kind of like the entire battle melted down at that point. And one of one of the things that uh, there was an interview with the director where he talks about the fact that um, they kind of ran out of time. They had a script and they gave it up and they sort of threw it and said, okay, we're just going to film off book and this crush scene is what happened. Ugh, and I God. and 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 he says he's actually very proud of it because it's not something he would have come up with except in that moment with actually doing it. You know, the the discovery of it was you know for him a very phenomenal thing, and that it was one of his favorite scenes from because he never would have thought to write that in a script or write that in a treatment. Um, but the fact that it's 
when they gave up and they just sort of had to finish that really that suddenly that scene made a lot more sense to me because up until then there was a real narrative drive going on, you know, like there was the the whole story is a little bit about, you know, how lucky John is, you know, at at any moment an arrow could have fallen five inches to the left and killed him. A horse Mm -hmm. could have not collided with another horse. Uh, A body could have fallen right instead of left. You know, he, he, there's Mm -hmm. every single moment in that first section of the battle before the crush where John basically just is lucky over and over and over and over and over and over again. And then once the crush happens, it's like his luck basically ran out and everyone's luck ran out. And at that point, it's not about who's going to live and who's going to die. It's that they're all completely smushed and they're all completely screwed and that it, and that it's either that they're all just going to have to they're they're all just going to have to uh, 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 surrender or they're all going to be slaughtered. Corey Smith, what do you what do you think about that crush scene? I, I mean, I was talking with a friend of mine. I loved the crush scene because it wasn't you know you knew at some point during the battle John was going to get in peril, and you knew that it, it, they were going to try and make you suspend belief for a few seconds, and you would think he was going to die. But I just figured it'd be him in a sword fight with someone. You know, he gets knocked to the ground, and it looks like he's about to get hacked, and then someone saves him, or he, you know, he trips the guy and jumps up. You know, something out of a, you know, a cliche out of any sword fighting action. Or, or a bit of like what we saw him do at Hard Home against the White Walker, like that kind right. of fight. Yeah, just right. something where, you know, some sort of cliche action sword play. And so to see him almost die via, you know, just getting trampled, I thought that was awesome. I loved that choice because it was it felt so original and organic to the scene as opposed to like him squaring off with like, you know, one of the car starks or something and you know, just something that would have felt like we'd seen that a dozen times before. And because he almost he almost squared off with a uh, small John Umber. Right. He almost like yeah. and then the and crush this, happens. And then right. the crush happens. And that's what you thought was gonna happen. I mean you knew going into it they'd put him in peril. But to have him be very, you know, be trampled by his own troops, essentially, I thought that was amazing. I love that choice. So if that was by accident or or it was organic or whatever you were, you know, whatever the director was trying to say, I loved it. I thought it was great. Well, I, I got to tell you, as watching that scene, and like I said, I'm super insanely claustrophobic. I was getting the sluts. I had to stand up and walk around. I was I was freaking out. And when that last moment when some guy's like cloak or some guy's vest like falls over like a flap and closes him in that's when i started to like really lose my shit i was like oh my god oh my god i can't i don't care if he lives or dies just get me away from this scene so you know that's a really well filmed scene if if it elicits that kind of emotion from his viewers but so john comes up like isis says a baby popping out of a vagina <laughs> i love that metaphor and he comes out and um all of a sudden, we hear the horns, and it's like Littlefinger and Sansa have their Gandalf at Helm's Deep moment, right? <laughs> now, you want to talk about avoiding tropes before that. This was absolutely the, the fantasy film or series trope. The guy. The only the know, only thing it was missing was the sun coming up on the ridge behind them. Exactly. Like, we had the horn blow. We had all the heroes and the villains stop what they were doing and look to the distance. And we see the Knights of the Vale come in fully armored, all cavalry, riding, carrying the Aaron banners. And we see Littlefinger and Sansa 
right up, and they're smiling. And I love that shot of Littlefinger, and he's got the Littlefinger smirk on his face as he's watching he's his army. No, no, no. What I loved about that is they panned over it and kept going because he wasn't the center of attention. Right, right, exactly. And that that was that's a great point because. It was Sansa, and I want I want to get your Annie. I want to get your opinion on this because you've talked about this. It was Sansa who brought this army. Yes, this was you know everyone had been kind of in in all of our spoilers because we knew this was coming. Okay, mm-hmm. in all of our spoilers, it was Littlefinger comes with the veil at the last minute to save Sansa and John. No, right. that's not what happened, children. What happened is that Sansa brought an army that happened to have Littlefinger in it mm-hmm. and saved John and Winterfell. I agree. I agree 100% because had Sansa not written that letter, whenever uh, shit went sideways with the rest of the Northern Lords and they were back at camp and she went over to the Ravens and wrote a letter, had she not written that letter, you would not have the Knights of the Ville come to this to no. this party you know the they, they, they were about one of the things as i said earlier is that this was about luck and it was all about john being lucky on the battlefield well this was luck but this was luck that sansa made happen sansa made her own luck from determination and and a refusal to take you know when people say to you you know people have been saying to her well there, there's no time you know we have all we have we, we can't keep we can't keep asking people this is this we're fighting with the army we have not the army we wish we had you know she just said no no i'm not taking that for an answer i'm gonna make my own luck and i'm gonna make my own fate and i'm gonna make this happen and i'm gonna win well at the same time though i felt like she ate a little shit just to make this happen like oh she did oh she 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 owes little finger now and that is not a no owing little finger is always a bad thing it it absolutely is but it was worth it to her she said Mm -hmm. you know unfortunately trying to save my brother is not gonna get it but owing little finger who's a little fucking shit is worth (laughs) The fact that we may be able to go ahead and win this, you know. I mean, the real the real question is: Is will she have to marry him for this choice? Well, yeah, we we see them talking in the in the Godswood of Winterfell next episode. In the next episode, I, I would just yeah. like to go back real quick when they're in the the surrounded in the circle. I would like to say again another theme: Tormund, my my man crush Monday. Man, <laughs> did any of you guys get like a Mike Tyson fucking moment? Like I literally thought he bit that guy ear off. His head outhearted the other one. Like, but he didn't. He didn't. He didn't chew an ear. No, he, he went, went for the carotid he artery. He went for the artery, and I didn't realize that until like it started spewing everywhere. All I could think was like, "Oh shit!" He just went on Mike Tyson, and and it was it was awesome to see you know that like he was you know yeah I'm, I'm I mean he was just all about his boy John, and then when he looks up to see. That both John and Tormund see the uh, the the veil coming down, like it was like a renewed energy, and it was right. even for one one too. He was like, "You see this shit? Are you seeing this? Let's do this!" <laughs> and I I totally felt like it was it breathed new life into that army who was at that point surrounded. I liked that uh, talking about one one, and let's talk. Let's go ahead and talk about one one's. Uh, 
final moments in this episode. Uh, I like that when the battle started, he comes charging across the field, and he points to the to the to the Boltons when they're starting to bring the shields up, and he just grunts and points. And here's my big problem with having one one in this battle: you've got the only you got the last remaining giant right that we know of. He's the last living giant that we know. Um, and you've got a giant. Like, it's, this is like the Avengers. I've got an army. Well, I've got a Hulk. Well, we've got a 1-1, one, one, right? Like, he's the ultimate wild card in your army. Why don't he, Why doesn't he have a fucking club or a tree like he had a hard home? Like, why not give this guy a weapon? Because if you noticed, when the Bolton shields come up to crush the, crush the wildling in John's army, one was just swinging his hands like a little girl, like like a little Nancy, just like, ah, get away, get away, you know? He grabs a couple of guys from the Bolton army, and he rips them apart, and that's great. But he, imagine one one having a giant-made weapon, like a, like a club or a tree trunk like he had at Hardhome. He would have wrecked all Bolton dicks, and you would never even had to have the, uh, the army of the Vale come save them, because one one would have saved everybody. Well, I'm just saying, why didn't he just go even take... Like, you know, grab five of those guys by the leg and just use like, and just use them as weapons to knock the other guys off. I mean, that made no sense to me. I mean, again, I'm watching Game of Thrones and I'm like, okay, fine. I'm belief. Just, I get yeah, it. I get it. Fine. This is, you know, to hype up the drama. But I have to believe that one one on his own would have been one stronger than 26 of those guys from the Mormons. And 62. Oh, 62. 62. Sorry. I'm dyslexic <laughs> and drunk. And uh, so um, I, I have to believe that they would have wrecked. He would have wrecked more dicks than, than what he did. I was really kind of disappointed in him. Like grab a fucking tree and just like, you know, just kind of like go in a circle. I don't know. Say everybody duck right. and go in a circle and just whoop that shit around. Um, that's the only, you know, or throw, start throwing your guys across the bodies of the dead, <laughs> dead yeah, no. to get over it. You know, I, I don't know. It was just so many things that I had issues with. But I, again, I was like, okay, I'm just going to roll with it. I'm rolling with it. Before we, before we leave the crush pile and we go to Winterfell, um, Corey, let me ask you this. How do you think. Obviously, Ramsey planned this. Obviously, he planned the bodies to mound up, right? He planned for the wall of bodies from 300 to, to appear, and uh, and then he planned for the shields to, to close the gap. Because, I mean, he fired arrows into his own army, right? And this was a plan on Ramsey's part. This wasn't just accident. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think he, he planned it, and obviously he kind of – you saw when he kind of nodded to the umbers to kind of get in there and kind of – seal the gap because i don't think he thought that he would be able to create a complete circle with the you know with the shields so i think he knew he would have to plug some sort of hole and that's kind of what the umbers were were for so and obviously he could give two shits about shooting his own men with arrows i don't think he cared in the least um i mean i think if i was a Bolton or a car Stark or a number and all of a sudden my guys are shooting at me I might be a little upset but they didn't seem to mind too much um, but yeah well, let me ask you this well we you, you and I talked about this today um, we saw umber go down right. we saw Ramsey go down right. what happened to car Stark yeah where the hell did he go and he you know you saw, out Mormons. no you saw him at the parlay and then there was a brief shot of him Right after when, when Ramsey Ramsey remounts his right, horse, he was right there over his right shoulder. He was mm-hmm. it was clearly him sitting on his horse, 
and then never saw him again. Never, you know, he ran off to Winterfell. He took off from the battle altogether. He just kind of disappeared. So that was kind of a, that was kind of disappointing to me because I felt like, you know, Ramsey only has a couple guys on his side that we care about as far as dying. So I felt like that was a missed opportunity to have them kill one of the guys that had obviously sided with Ramsey over the start. Unless, and hear me out, unless John has to go deal with the Karstarks next season or in the next episode. He's got to go, like, you know, the Northern Lords, at some point, the Northern Lords have to come pay fealty to the new Warden of the North. Whether that's going to be Sansa and Littlefinger ruling together, or it's going to be John proclaimed the King of the North by the Lords of the, the, Lords of the North. I don't know what's going to happen there. Yeah, and but, I would have I also liked, you know, they made such a big deal about Ramsey ruling out of fear and having to make a big show for the other northern lords that were on his side. I would have liked to have seen either Umber or Karstark kind of abandon Ramsey, so to speak. You know, once either Some they thought about it. kind of the north remembers kind of moment. I wanted, I wanted that to happen so bad. Even and if it wasn't I, a revenge thing, I would have liked it out of just a pure self-preservation thing. You know, I mean, they made the point so many times that Ramsey rules out of fear and that the other northern lords are kind of just falling in line because they don't want to get flayed. And so it would have been nice to have seen when the, you know, either when the, the veil showed up or even when they fleed back to the castle fled, sorry. Um, you know, it would have been nice to see someone like, yo, we're done. You're losing. We're not going to go down with the ship. You know, even if they weren't like, oh, we've always loved the Starks. Even if they were just like, yo, we're not going down with the ship. We want to still survive. You're obviously about to get your ass kicked. You know, something like that. So I, I felt Car Stark disappearing was a bit of a missed opportunity, but, you know, all in all, I'm not well, I rem- a- Annie mentioned that we knew about these spoilers a long time ago. And what happened was, for those of you who don't know, on the Free Folk subreddit, there was a guy named Trude. I'm, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing his name correctly, Trude, um, who leaked this entire Bastard of the ba- uh, Battle of the Bastards. I almost got that backwards. Uh, I'm not even drinking. Um, almost got the entire. He got the entire synopsis for the Battle of the Bastards, and he leaked it before the season even started. And he said the reason he knew about this is because he was an extra. In the in the in the in the battle, he was he played one of the extras. He didn't say what side of the battle he was on, but he saw all of this um, unfold. He saw he he called it down to uh, the great our small John walking in front of his army, saying, "Who does who who owns the North? We do." He even called that, and this was this happened way before the season even started. So I thought it was kind of amazing. But there was also another leak by a fake leaker who said that at one point during the battle. The Umbers were going to charge in, and then just like in Braveheart, when the when the, when Ireland comes in to sit to, to fight the Scots, they stop and hug each other, and they turn and they face and they they turn on Ramsay. And I was kind of still I was holding out hope that at some point the Umbers would have charged in, and and then said ah we're we're you know the North remembers and we're part of Team Stark, but after I think I I kind of let that go after. They threw Shaggy Dog's head to the ground, and you know that that parlay, and then Rickon died. I was like, "There's no way the Umbers are part of the are part of Team Stark." So I don't know. I want to give props to the Free Folk subreddit and Trude for leaking this because it was amazing to know this information ahead of time. It was pretty cool. Anyway, uh, let's get to let's get to Winterfell really quick. And Isis, back to you. 
are talking about one one. He he's full of air. He looks like a porcupine at this point, right? Oh man, he does. He looks like you know, like a you know how they had. Well, I guess they used to. I don't know if they do it anymore. But the bullfights where they mm-hmm. would stick the, the, the spears inside the bull and everything and the bullfighters yeah. dancing around him. I mean, you know, at one point, it was so funny to see the delusion in Ramsey's face of like, but we have Winterfell. They, they can't get in here. There, there's no way. And then to see one one just smash yeah, through the gates and everything. And I thought it was an awesome moment between uh, Tormund, uh, um, John, and one one. And one one is you know we all know one one is on his last leg he he is right. about to die, and and John is about to reach out to him like almost in thanks like kind of just saying thank you for what you have done because you just sacrificed your life, mm-hmm. and doesn't get that opportunity because fucking coward ass Ramsey Snow shoots him right in the eye, and I was just <laughs> like I, I mean I I remember saying son of a bitch, um, <laughs> you know to. Because John didn't even get to, like, say goodbye and thank you to to one one who, without him, this wouldn't have been possible. And I think that just infuriated John so much that, I mean, he was already pissed about his brother. But now he was just like, you killed my one one. And, you killed um, one one, you bastards. Like, you killed Kenny, you bastards. Yeah, and then – but then it was so funny to see how he was like, oh, okay – now do you, you want to fight? Oh, okay, yeah, let's do a one-on-one fight. I'm like, dude, you are fucking delusional now. Uh, I want to ask. I want to ask Annie <laughs> or Corey. Either either one chime in. That shield that John picked up was cl- clearly not a Bolton shield. Was it a Mormont shield? Yeah, a Mormont there. shield. Yeah. 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 That's what that's you know, what how it got there. It doesn't matter how it got there. It was a Mormon <laughs> shield, and I and it was and it was. I'm pretty sure that choice was deliberate, you know. And uh, and and I gotta say, like when one one went down, all I could think was, you know, the the uh, the the line from Princess Bride, you know, rest well, one one, and dream of large women. <laughs> oh, <laughs> nice. oh. Nice. Well done. I'm giving you an applause. Yeah, that round was of applause good. That, that was one. good, Annie. <laughs> no, I I felt like you know one one had um, definitely you know done the best job that he could for John and I felt like you know between Tormund one one all these people had nothing to do with this fight but they they believe so John. we can all we can all basically agree that even without the shot to the eye one one was dead oh yeah one one was dying it, that that was, those were his last moments it's just that Ramsey at this point was just i mean okay you know what Ramsey also never picked up a sword he no, was he always because all he knows how to do is a bow and arrow. He doesn't know a sword, so he's firing arrows even when it's an impractical thing to be doing because the person is walking at you with a shield in front of them. Did you notice his bow was a special bow too? It had like markings on it. Yeah. I think I think that was his bow from season three. Whenever Theon is running, is it season three? Whenever he came in, yes, that would play season three. When they're chasing, they're chasing one of his girls. He's chasing his girls with the hounds. When Miranda first came into play, and um, they're chasing the girl through the woods, and they're firing arrows at her as the hounds are chasing yeah. her. I'm pretty sure that was his, his special, like my own Bolton bow. You know, I, I'm like like uh, Ygritte had her own bow, and she was given that. Like Rose Leslie was given her bow when she left stage. I wonder if Ewan was given that bow I would because it looked like it was a special bow. I'd have to believe that he did. But what I found impressive was when he was he. I mean. Uh, and I don't know if you guys that are, are know about bow hunting or anything like that, but you have Jon Snow coming up closer and closer, and you know Ramsey is 
throwing those bows with all his might. You know, he's pulling them back as far as he can to try to get, you know, of course, the most emphasis to try to stop John. And I don't know if anybody else did this or not, but I counted how many times John punched him square in the fucking face. Oh, you did? I didn't, I didn't count. I didn't okay, count. How many? I, 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 actually, I can twice. tell you how many times he punched him. He actually punched him twice in real life. In real life. In but real life, he actually slipped and punched him twice, and apparently he owed him a pint for every time he slipped. <laughs> and I love that story. Nice. I love that the fact that that story came out that he was like, you know, you get into the heat of the moment, and you just like, you know, you hit somebody in the face, and and the and the guy, um, uh, the guy who plays Ramsey, he he, you know, right. played it off really well. But I, from what I read, um, it took them. I think 12 hours just doing that scene. 12 hours of John Am I throwing... pronouncing his name right, Annie? It's, 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 it's Ian. It's Ian. 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 I'm Ian. saying Ewan. Yeah, right. it's Ian. I'm sorry. It's Ian. I apologize. I don't know why I've been saying Ewan this whole time. Maybe because I read it that way. And we, t- we just talked about this last episode. <laughs> yeah. uh, we, we mispronounced names that we read. And it, okay, anyway, so he's throwing it, and he threw 21 punches. I watched the episode three times. I counted every single time. And the, after the 21st punch, he looks at Sansa, and Sansa... To me, and this is my own opinion, and maybe I'm projecting, but I felt like she said, nah, do not kill this motherfucker. Let me have him. I, I honestly felt that way. Like she you felt like it was a uh, save him for me. Yes. Mine. Yes. Oh, yeah. It was like, <clears throat> let me get mine. You know, let me. He did all these horrible things to me. Let me well, get you... my revenge. I, I had a I had a callback to, to the Lord of the Rings. Uh, the first movie, The Lord of the Rings, because it's first of all I'm a nerd. Second of all, um, this is when Sean Bean played Boromir, of course, and this is at the end of the movie when the, when the when the hobbits are escaping from the, from the orcs, and the big bad black you know the white hand orc, he's firing arrows into Boromir as he's charge as he's charging up the hill, and I just couldn't help but think, Ramsey reminded me he he pulled back really taut one time, like he pulled back with all of his might, and it looked just like that orc. In the Lord of the Rings, and then I thought, okay, we have Sean Bean's, you know, son or nephew, whatever you want to call him, Jon Snow, charging this guy, and his shield is full of arrows. I thought it was pretty cool. I thought it was a nice little nod to all of us nerds who love the Lord of the Rings. But um, let's uh, let's talk about Sansa and well, before we get to Sansa and Ramsay, I want to talk about the fact that Jon is going to be burying Rickon in the Winterfell crypts. Corey, do you think that's going to be – are we going to have any kind of reveal in the crypts next episode? Yeah, you know, there's, from the books, there's always been the rumor that there's something in the crypts, uh, specifically in Liana's grave, uh, mm-hmm. that could potentially validate John's heritage. Right. Um, as far as it being on the show, I, I don't see it because I think they're just going to kind of go with the whole reveal via Bran. Um, as far as how they handle it, because if, if it was say Rhaegar's harp, which I think a lot of people think it is, that hasn't been mentioned on the show. Right. Not so it once. Just, yeah. It would be a little bit out of left field. I mean, they even mentioned him singing a couple times, but never mentioned the harp. So I can, only thing I could, only thing I could see is maybe a Targaryen wedding cloak. Yeah. Um, I that, mean, that's, that's mm, possible. I or know. how about Littlefinger, who is now in the general vicinity of John and Sansa, and he has already dropped several hints to Sansa that not, they don't know the 
you know, the full story of what happened. And, you know, Littlefinger has basically kind of, you know, said, like, I know a secret you don't know. And um, you know I what? think yeah, but that he... that could happen. I mean, I think that him dropping the I have a feeling I know where Annie's going, though. I have a, I have a feeling I know where me. Annie's going. But I'm I not think you're right. You might be on to something because think about this for a second, Annie. Think about this for a second. Mm-hmm. What if Littlefinger's whole plan, and we know he's he's got big aspirations, he wants to marry Sansa, and he wants to be, you know, de facto the male ruler of the of the North, the warden of the North. And let's say he does reveal the fact that Lyanna and Rhaegar had a baby, and it was John. Let's say he tells everybody that, and he's he's the one that tells the realm that John is actually a Targaryen. What would be his motives behind that? Well, let me think. What's the quickest way to get the male the, the predominant alpha male out of the north. Make him go for the Iron Throne because he's a Targaryen. Yeah, you know, I just, I don't, I, I don't see Littlefinger playing Kingmaker like that. I just, I don't see that as his, as, as his M.O. I see, in fact, if anything, I see him trying to keep that quiet because if, John is therefore a Targaryen. Then he's a then then he's a trueborn son, and then Sansa isn't the key to the North anymore. Then there's someone else who has a claim. So I, I'm not so sure about that. Um, yeah, I, I honestly, I honestly well, don't think that John is going to find out until Danny shows up. Right. Well, I, I don't think that if John's heritage is who we think it is, Sansa would still come. Over John, because John was she's a trueborn of daughter the, of Ned Stark of, of the right. Lord of the Lord of Winterfell. And I, I also don't think that Littlefinger would want John and Danny to, we assume, would team up if John finds out he's a Targaryen and that's his aunt. Um, I don't know. I, and you know, calling back to that scene in the crypts from last season, I I didn't get the impression that Littlefinger knew exactly what went down just that he knew something or that that the stories didn't add up i i, I didn't or, really no, know or that, that he he knew he knew that she had run away with Rhaegar, but not that john is their child right yeah like he knew something didn't add up but not necessarily that he knew all the details and knows exactly who john is just that the the story didn't jive with what everybody said about Rhaegar. so well, that's kind of how i interpreted it well, I just feel that there has to be some type of catalyst to make John leave Winterfell to go ahead and seek out Danny or to whatever. There's got to be the, it's the army. It's the army of the White Walkers busting through Molt Kalen and headed towards the west and leaving the north behind. That's what that's what his catalyst is. You know, like I, I'm thinking to myself, we're all we all know that the army of the dead's coming, right? That's all they've been preaching, right? Mm-hmm. Like you hear it in every trailer. The the the, the dead are coming. You know, and that's what Davos keeps saying. Uh, so what side are you going to fight for? The living or the dead? Blah, blah, blah. They've been burying this into our skulls ever since uh, season one. So now the, the Night King is coming. Whether, whether he comes in episode 10 or we have to see him break the wall in season seven, we don't know that yet. I hope we get the wall falling next episode, but we don't know if that's going to happen or not. Um, but the, the catalyst for John to uproot himself from the north and go west would be to help the realm defeat these, defeat the White Walkers. And that would mean that the White Walkers would have to come through the wall, and instead of going straight to Winterfell, they would turn and go towards Moat Mo- Kalen in the neck and break through that way. Um, that's the only thing I could think of that would make him move. 
Of course, you've got all these other armies now. You've got the Vale, the Knights of the Vale. I don't know how long they're planning on staying. Um, and we don't know what's Littlefinger's master plan with little Lord Robin. Like, what's he going to do with little, little Robin? Robert, like, is he still going to try try to marry Sansa to Robert, or is he going to try to marry Sansa himself? I I, I think Both I think disgusting. Yeah, so true. Um, I I assume that Littlefinger will try and marry her himself, and the, the question is of whether or not she uh, it, uh, if she submits to an engagement, if she submits to the actual marriage, and how long she allows him to live once that marriage is once that marriage happens. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, because well, technically, really, Sansa's still married. She just doesn't know it. Yeah, that's true. She is. She actually still has a living husband. She just doesn't know it. Um, yeah. Her marriage to Ramsay was technically never legal um, in a world where bigamy is not allowed. Um, which <laughs> we don't actually know whether or not bigamy is illegal in Westeros because no one ever discusses that. That's true. Um, I because they, you know, I thought they no. made the. Uh, sorry to interrupt, but I thought they made the point that Tyrion and Sansa's marriage was not valid because it was never consummated. Oh, yes. No, the show has actually made a very big point of that. Okay. Um, okay. In the books, okay. that's not a thing. That in, I'm, I'm thinking the books where that is right. not nearly as, uh, as, as spelled out in large, friendly letters for the audience. Okay, okay. I, I, thought, it, I thought it was still valid, but my bad. Okay. Okay, so uh, let's get to the big scene where we have um, Ramsay tied to the chair, and he's obviously in the kennel, um, and... Sansa approaches the cage and without even saying a word probably has the best the best acting job of the entire night just the range of emotion on her face and the way she moved her eyes and the way she arched her eyebrows whenever he would talk like Sansa controlled Sophie Turner controlled that moment as an actress and Sansa controlled that moment as a character and what I really loved was the fact that it wasn't John who killed Ramsay it wasn't Ghost, because, you know, John's direwolf wasn't even at the battle, which, honestly, I've talked to other people about this. Ghost is the only living direwolf we know of. We know Nymeria is in the Riverlands somewhere, but Ghost is the final, like, remaining direwolf that's actually active right now. And it's kind of smart, because John keeps him free of the battle. Like, he was kept locked up in the, on the season four as the Watchers on the Wall until John needed him at the very end. So John's kind of been smart by keeping Ghost out of the fray, so to speak. Um, but uh, you know, let's let's talk about that final moment. Let's talk about Ramsay dying through, by the hounds. And and uh, Annie, let me hear you talk about Sophie Turner as a, as an actress, like coming full circle with uh with her her growth in this moment. And and the Sansa character has she completely become dark, the dark Sansa character that we all wanted now? Is she because she walked off smiling? She, she did walk off smiling, but I'm not going to say that she is Darth Sansa. She is something else. She has become. She has finished her development. I will give her that. She has become a creation created by, as you guys said earlier, her captors. There's a little bit of Cersei in there. There's a little bit of Joffrey in there. There's a little bit of Ramsay in there. You know, she stood there and she said, "You, you're, the memory of you will disappear. The truth is, no. The memory of, she will never truly be able to erase the imprint that Ramsay put on her. You know, in a way, Joffrey was still a child when, when, when he abused her. Um, but 
Ramsey was an adult and she was an adult and that that she has she has been affected she is now someone else and this is her first kill that's a good point that's a really good point and she did it in the most graphic and most gruesome way I mean seriously everybody knew no they telegraphed that for days though I'm serious like I complain I I was the one who complained bitterly when we had to watch um fat Walda and the baby get fed to the hounds and when we we got here I was like and that's why we had to sit through it because it was all a build-up to Ramsey being fed to his own hounds by Sansa and he even says he says at a parlay that they hadn't been fed in seven days. Yes, he had. Once he said that, I was like, he's going to be fed to his own hounds. He is going to, and you know, and he's like, and and the same the same way I would say about my cats. Oh, they're loyal. No, this is a dog <laughs> dog world, and Ramsey is part of what taught Sansa. This is a dog eat dog world. Hey, you know? just real quick, I, I, when I was rewatching it this afternoon, when uh, and I don't know if this was a mistake. Or, you know, an edit issue or whatever the case may be. It doesn't really make a big – it's not a big deal. But when Ramsey makes that statement, Sansa had already done her mic drop and had already left. So I don't know if it came up in conversation when they're, you know, kind of doing their huddle or whatever. But when Ramsey oh, yes. makes, that conversa- yeah. makes that comment, Sansa had already left. She already – No, he, her- he, 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 he at this point is actually still trying to talk himself into believing that he's going to survive. Oh, I know that. I'm just saying when in that, you know, when no, they were but, uh, having that conversation. I was just saying that uh, Sansa wasn't there. She left the parlay. She had already left. Oh, yes. Done, yes, she, she had. She dropped the mic and she had wrote off. You're going to die tomorrow night. Yeah, and then that's when when uh, Ramsey had made the comment about, like, ooh, you look good. I wonder what bits they're going to eat first. And, and he said, my dogs haven't eaten in seven days. So I found it funny when she said that. You know, oh, your dogs haven't eaten in seven days. I'm like, bitch, how do you know that? And but anyway, I, that's, I assume one of them I think must it's an edit. Back of the but yeah, maybe. But I think it was probably an edit situation. But um, one thing that I absolutely took away from this, um, you know, granted, I would have liked to have seen uh, Ramsey being filleted. Uh, I felt that would have been, you know, appropriate for the things that he had done to be tortured. But I felt like this was, you know, kind of he got what he deserved without having to drag it out and and to muddy her you know her heart you know uh she she still had go ahead had sans had sans and john um had ramsey flayed that would have been the most unstark thing yes ever. exactly never done that. and i i just um, felt like that was really interesting and a friend of mine who who's like from god fourth grade uh he we we tweet each other about game of thrones and he made this comment and i thought it was frankie made a great point and it says it proves that a hungry dog has no loyalty and that is absolutely true if you are hungry for you know a position you have no loyalty whatsoever you will do whatever you have to do to get to that point and that's not what the starks are all about um, so I felt that was a really yeah. poignant uh, point that he had made. I would also like to, and this is my last point, is that uh, when John is punching him in the face, if you look at the way he's um, uh, Bolton is laying down there, it looks almost like the person on the shield, on his shields. Ah. His arms are out. His the leg, man. Yes, yes. By the way, can I get can, can I get a ten, you know how there's a ten minute uh, video of uh, Joffrey being slapped by Tyrion over and over and over again? Can I please yeah. get a ten minute video of John punching Ramsay in the face? 
We had one of our uh, our Twitter followers, the Pixel Factor, make a GIF out of the out of the punch. No, I, I want I want a ten minute YouTube video, like the same <laughs> way I have the ten minute YouTube video of Tyrion slapping Joffrey. I, I would really like yeah. if somebody would make that for me. Thank you. <laughs> can I can so, I say um, I I didn't like the the showdown between Ramsay and John. It was anticlimactic almost. It, it just Ramsay felt like such a gigantic moron in that scene. That I just, it was hard for me to, to buy it. He didn't even, I mean, John's like, what, six inches away when he throws a punch and Ramsey's still trying to pull his bow back? I, I, I mean, it wasn't just terrible, but it just, you know, I wish he would have tried to pull a sword or he tr- he had that, you saw in the scene earlier, he had his, his little uh, dagger. dagger on the small of his back. You know, he tries to pull that and kind of slices up and John still decks him. But, I mean, he just was, he didn't even try, and to me that was kind of, I'm not sure well, what see, they were going for there. I think he knew he was dead, no matter what. I did he was, too, but he, he the, never the wilding, like a, The wilding army had already drew down on him. Everybody's bow was pointed at him. And if John had decided not to pick up that shield, all it, all it would take was a look, and everybody would have fired their arrows into Ramsey. Yeah, I but think he, he just, knew he was dead, no matter what. He felt like Ramsey, you know, he saw it with 1-1. You, you felt like he would have still tried to have been petty. And even though he knew he was going down, he, he felt like he would have tried to stab somebody, especially yeah. John. You know, even if he knew he was going to die and it would cost him his life to do it, you felt like he would try something because he's just a, such a gigantic asshole. Douchebag. Well, yeah, well, I have it, to... He would try something. So I didn't know what they were going for there because Ramsey didn't strike me as the type of person to just give up like that. No, see, I felt like Ramsey is exactly that type of person because he knew that, okay, you know what, I'm, I'm pretty much done for, and he, and he tried his best, and his best is you using a bow and arrow and, and stuff like that, but did you guys realize that the entire time that John's punching the shit out of his face, making basically ground meat out of his face, he has a smile on his face. I was unsure until he I got eaten by the dogs, yeah. you know, that he felt pain. I was, I was like, does he have some fucking medical condition that this man does not feel any fucking pain whatsoever? Because Maybe he actually really liked it. That guy from that James Bond movie. Yeah, like, really yeah. The James Bond Exactly. That's that's how I felt because he had this shit eating grin on his face. Like like basically getting punched in the face was orgasmic to him. Like he's like, yes, keep hitting well, me. They, and that they, was weird. they touched on it. They've definitely touched on the show what a sick fuck he is. But in the books, he's one million times worse in the books. So, yeah, he he is the kind of person that would take a beating and just smile at it. He is. He absolutely is because he's that twisted. Yeah, he's sadistic. Yeah, and, so um, it doesn't it doesn't surprise me that you know even with his back against the wall he's like all right fine I'll take what you what you have to give me, um, but you know I, I just at the time when when John stopped punching him after the twenty first punch and he looked at Sansa I was like oh shit he's about to pull out a knife and stab John because that's the kind of crazy batshit motherfucker he is. Um, And then then that didn't happen. And that's when, you know, I felt like, well, I was kind of let down. I was like, oh, shit, I thought there was going to be more. Um, I would have I would have appreciated a better fight between the two mm -hmm. um, because it was the Battle of the Bastards, after all. It wasn't really a fight. It wasn't really it wasn't really a fight. But 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 I think I think the reason they went. But I think the reason they went this way is because something we've talked about earlier in the podcast is. This wasn't about John 
winning the day. It was about Sansa winning the day. Yeah. Honestly. It really and, was. And and this was about Sansa's character coming full circle. Uh, she's finally about well, she's finally the powerful lady that she's always wanted to be, uh, or we've always wanted her to be. So. I think the reason they went that way and didn't have John and Ramsey have this epic sword fight and John deliver the killing blow was because it wasn't about John. Even though it was called the Battle of the Bastards, it wasn't John. It was Sansa saving John for once. Some, Ta- Sansa was actually saving somebody this time, yeah. and she wasn't being saved. Well, but I, um, I'm just, uh, just going to I do want to say – I just want to say something. I will never, ever say Targaryen and Stark – for president, I would say Targaryen and Mormont for president. Two thousand sixteen. <laughs> oh yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. I would say that, but never in my mind would you ever hear me say that. Like, yes, yes, Sansa, you freaking genius. No, I, absolutely not. I think I think she got that look that John has rubbed off, and she should be praying her lucky stars. <laughs> well, okay. Let's before we wrap this up, and before we talk about the trailer for next week. Um, I have seen a lot of people talk about Ramsey's last words to Sansa that um, you can't kill me because I'm in, I'm in you. I'm, I'm part of you now. Yeah, that, that um, was what I was getting at earlier. People were freaking out because they were saying this is oh, just confirmation that is pregnant. Sansa is no, pregnant. No, Sansa is say, not pregnant. She's not showing. She's not showing. At this point, she would, she would have been showing by now, people. No. Yeah. Sansa well, yeah. is not pregnant. I feel like she would have thrown herself down the stairs, yeah. <laughs> and and, yeah. and she, she'd have gotten she would have gotten a nice potion from Melisandre and <laughs> taken care of it. Though, I, I also feel say, like I she will, would have told him. I, I I will say this though. Oh yeah, the, uh, I killed your baby. Oh yeah, she absolutely yeah. would have. She would have told him that just like in Braveheart, um, just like in Braveheart, that final scene. But um, for the record, Tormund survived, right? Brienne's coming back, right? Mm, yes. Yeah. What's up? <laughs> I'm doing my little dance, baby. I'm doing my little dance. I'm like, yeah, hell yeah. Well, so we all we lost on the northern side was one one and uh, a bunch of unnamed. No, 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 no. We lost a uh, we lost Rickon and one one. Rickon. Well, yeah, and that's that's okay. This is a good point. This is how little we care about Rickon. <laughs> is <laughs> he died, fun. and I didn't even care. But I didn't like. I was I was sad that John lost his brother and. That was a heart-wrenching moment because John's full tilt, got the horse given all the way open, and he's got his hand out. And you think for just one second, because Ramsey fires what what appeared to be the last arrow, and you think for one second that Rickon's going to survive. Yep. And John's almost there, and then that last arrow pierces his heart, punches through his chest, and he's done. But um, I would have, yeah, I would have I mean, liked at least Rickon to say thank you for trying. You know what I mean? Like. Thank you for at least trying to come and save me. And that and that's what kind of hurt me, I guess. And it was funny, too, because, like, as soon as that scene happened, like, I audibly screamed. Like, I saw it coming a mile away, but I was like, ugh. Like, I was gutted at that moment. And I think everybody had, had that same feeling. Like, we know we see it coming, but shit. I do want to point out one thing. Did you guys – okay, when the, when the – right before the crush scene happened and – um. All those soldiers were climbing up the pile of bodies. Did you notice the guy with no legs crawling up the pile of bodies? Did you also realize that last season, and in, in, when Stannis' last charge came, that there was a guy crawling through the woods with no legs? <laughs> it reminded me, and I kept thinking, is this is this the same guy? No, I don't know. 
I know that guy on the show is dead. I know that guy on the show is dead. That guy on the show is dead. But I wonder if he's the same actor. actor. Like, hey, (laughs) listen, you've got a you've got a strong bit role here. You need a guy with no legs. (laughs) We didn't touch on this, and I'm glad you brought it up real quick because we can go back to it. The entire, you know, we we skip from when John tries to save Rick into the crush scene, but that entire battle scene was just one long, ridiculously well filmed fight scene and it was amazing to watch i mean it you know you had the horses crashing into each other you had the oh my god you had the one guy john's like hey good job and then boom he's dead and then you had the horse riding by with the rider had no head and one one still kicked him just like i don't know for spite (laughs) you know if you haven't watched the anatomy of the scene video of how yeah. they filmed that, it is so great. Like all the tricks they pulled in order to make that scene happen are just, just amazing. Yeah, and it just, you know, we can debate whether it was a better battle in Hard Home or any of the other battles, but it's on a pure, like from a like a technical standpoint, how well it was filmed. I think it was the best battle scene that we've seen in the series because it was just, I mean, it was just shot after shot after shot of well-done action. And it was really just kind of, you know, you're holding your breath as one thing after another happens. And it was, it was really awesome. And I, I think Dan touched on his recap. It's like send fruit baskets to every single one of those guys because they, they shot the hell out of that scene and it was really amazing. So well, I, I agree. Like I, I love the fact that uh, at that moment when John's army comes crashing in and you had horses colliding with right. each other, that's something you don't see even in the movies. Like right. that's something that that's just the grit and the horror and the the, the just the the bloodiness of war that they actually showed. And I know Game of Thrones gets a bad rap for you know they're just trying to go for the shock factor and they only show like all the bad scenes. This was something that needed to be shown. This like the you know this is a fantasy show, but war is ugly. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> and that whole scene it, it was better than any of the battles in the any of those Hobbit movies, or I mean it was just <laughs> it was so Hobbit well. Movies. I mean obviously it wasn't it wasn't as long as some of, of the other battles, but it was you know for the time that it had you're like this is amazing that this is a TV show on HBO. Especially when you think back on, you, know, you go back to season one, the Battle of the Green Fork, where they just knock Tyrion out and then it's over. Yeah. To, to now, it's like these guys, I mean, there's no way that anybody in the special effects, you know, technical aspect is going to beat them when it comes to Emmy time. There's just no way. I mean, you can't, you'd never be able to take the award seriously. Man, if, can I just, can, I'm sorry, I, I really have to interrupt because this is just a thing that has bothered me every time the Emmys come up. You guys realize that Game of Thrones is tied for the all-time Emmys at this point, right? That they that all they yeah. have to do is win one more, and right. they will have won more Emmys than anyone else, and they will win for some dumb little thing like how they replicated men in this battle, and it will be in that part of the Emmys that isn't shown on television. So by the time <laughs> we get to the Emmys, they will have already broken the record, and no one will get to celebrate. Okay, thank you. That's, that's all. True. Well, that's, that's a good point. I, I just want to. <laughs> say that I, I was reading something on uh, Winter is Coming about what was 
CGI and what wasn't, and the amount of CGI was um, startling. And the reason why it was startling was because it wasn't as much as I thought it would have been. That battle scene with the horses, those were real horses. horses. Yeah, those were real horses. Those were real people on top of the horses. They were, that was really John down there fight you know swinging his sword and everything i thought that was absolutely amazing and then this is another thing that i thought was amazing the next day today on monday you had directors i'm talking about name directors coming out and saying bravo game of thrones of what they did and i'm talking about directors who do action movies action tv shows even the the director or the producer of outlander uh ron he he came out and said absolutely hands down the best battle scene i have ever seen and they're about to have a battle scene themselves and when you and exactly and they're known for their battle scenes as well and so i felt like it really kind of showed how you know when you have other your peers telling you you did a fucking kick-ass job that's when you know you really nailed it I agree. Yeah, they agree. they really set the benchmark, and there's gonna it's gonna be a long time before another television show manages to top what we saw tonight. I agree 100. percent Well, we've talked about the Battle of the Bastards, we've talked about Meereen, we've talked about the North. Now let's talk about Episode 10, The Winds of Winter, named for the as of yet unpublished book by George R. R. Martin. Which God, please, George. Please finish that book. But, uh, we'll get another uh, Outlander book before you ever get Winds of Winter. You bite your Hush goddamn you. tongue. Um, but um, we've, got, we've got what I liked, and I haven't seen many people mention yet, is because I guess maybe show watchers don't really know about this, and it's really mainly a book thing. It's a book thing. We, ha- we had the White Raven. A yeah, shot I of actually, the White Raven. I, I, I made a point of when I did my trailer breakdown to explain the White Raven to people because I don't think that is something the show has in any form ever explained. Um, I, I mean, Isis, do you know? Do you know what the White Raven means? I have yeah, no I idea. Say, I want you to explain it to me. I, I thought that they had one scene. Back in King's Landing, where uh, they brought in a white raven in a cage. Okay. Am I, am I, am I misremembering I, I, that? I think you may be right. You okay. may be I, I right. I want to say season that. two or season three. Okay, but, but it was like, just a. It's not, like, it it's, not like, it's not like Wildfire, where they have brought it up sure. over and over, yeah, and over yeah, again yeah. this season, right? Okay. Because they're trying to tell us what's going to happen in yeah. episode 10. Uh, <laughs> so, Isis, the White Raven, um, so, as you know, they use Black Ravens to uh, communicate, and the Citadel um, uses Black Ravens to send messages back and forth all the time. They have right. a small stable of White Ravens, and when they send out a White Raven, it, it, it is the signal of the changing of the seasons. So, we saw a White Raven, um, the last time we saw White Raven was when they were announcing that summer was over and it was now officially autumn. So the White Raven flying to Winterfell is a message from the Citadel announcing that winter has arrived. Right. Winter, yes. winter is here, my lords. And another thing is, we know that Sam and Gilly are headed towards the Citadel. Hopefully we'll get a shot of Sam at the Citadel. Um, I've, I've seen rumors that we will. I don't know that that's going to pan out. But, um, Hopefully, maybe maybe Sam shows up to the Citadel as they're releasing the Ravens. Maybe that's going to be the first opening shot is the Citadel releasing the White Ravens as they fly over the the, the Seven Kingdoms. But um, well, they better we have Sam know, explain that shit for for you know show watchers because we're going to be like, what? Okay, they let out a, a you know a Raven, whatever. But yeah, 
I'm hope what I'm hoping for, and this is this is for me, and I want I would like to go around and see see what you guys are hoping for from episode ten. For me, I'm hoping we get a little bit of the epilogue from A Dance with Dragons. Speaking of White Ravens, yeah, um, winter is coming. Yeah, I think uh, there, so. There, I very much believe that the that that scene will happen next week without spoiling without, uh, without spoiling it. it. But what I am going to say is that instead of I do not believe that Varys leaving um, leaving Marine means that he is coming back and taking his role in the epilogue. I believe that that role will continue to be assigned to Quiburn. I believe so too. I, I think you're right. I think I think Kyburn's taken over that role completely, and um, I could I be think, very wrong, but I I believe be, be, this is me. My belief. I believe Varys is going to Dorne. That's my belief. Yeah. We've we've kind of heard rumors of that. I believe he's headed towards Dorne uh, to help iron out some uh, details between the Mother of Dragons and uh, the Sand Snakes. Um, God, it makes me want to vomit. Just hey, look, that's where, but, as uh, I said ge- earlier, geographically, that's where she's going to land. It's where he needs to. It's it's where he needs to prepare the way. Um, in 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 what I hope to see next week, um, I'm really looking forward to Cersei's trial. Mm. I'm really looking forward to seeing what it is that finally makes her snap that the wildfire comes out. Um, and I'm curious if we will see, you know, that shot of the Iron Throne in the Broken Throne Room being snowed on that's been mm-hmm. seen over and over again in, in all Danny's of, dream, in, in right. Danny's dream, and in other uh, in other like uh, premonitions. I I'm wondering if we will get that shot as like our last shot of King's Landing. That would be I, amazing. See, but the, here's the thing with that though. Okay, a in the books. Uh, Martin describes that scene as, as snow. He clearly describes it as snow. I know some people have interpreted it as ash. In the books, he's described it as snow. Obviously, they can change that if they want to because they changed 100 things. That's first thing. Second thing, going back to the epilogue from, from uh, Dance, um, I, I don't know how that would fit with if Cersei does some sort of crazy burn down the entire Sept of Baelor and all the sparrows with it. I don't know how then there's some, you know, Kevin and, and Pycelle are just having a meeting later. So well, I, I don't think, know I how think that without, without, without getting without getting too deep, let's not let's not spoil this. Without right. getting too deep into that, I do want to say, if that's going to happen, if Cersei's going to decide to burn down King's Landing, if she decides to go crazy, and I'm not saying that she is, I'm saying that that's what point that's where it points to. That's where everything's been pointing to. Um, if she does, I could see her definitely. Employing Kyburn in the mountain to go take care of some some last minute leftovers before she does burn the kingdom down. Like, yeah. Hey, go yeah. kill go kill the High Sparrow. Go kill Unella. Go kill uh, Pycelle. Go kill my uncle Kevin. And that's wipe where I can see that. Wipe the slate clean, and then I'm going to burn everything down. Yeah, I can see that happening. Because you know, I was thinking about it, and I'm talking to you know people throughout the day, and it's like, what's going to be the you know the big surprises and the shocks from the finale? Because obviously we got to have something. Um, you know, so I, I think definitely we're going to have some King's Landing burn. Um, <laughs> Corey's dog. Oh, <laughs> poor puppy. See, that's my, my wife's cat. dog. That's not my dog. That's my wife's. My, my, see, my cat can just sit here the entire time, and y'all will never know. I was going to say, I've got two cats sitting in my lap right now. You didn't even know it. Um, I have but yeah, none. <laughs> okay. You've got, so, you've got a bottle of wine in your lap. Let's talk this, about that. Well, I'm on my second. <laughs> 
glass. Uh, so anyway, I have no, exp- I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not a book reader, um, as we have pointed out numerous times. Um, I have no expectation. I don't know what the hell is going to happen. I don't really care. I just want it to be good because to, for me, the Battle of the Bastards was quite possibly the, for me, the best episode of Game of Thrones as a whole, at least top three. Um, so for me, I, I'm really hoping, because to me, Battle of the Bastards felt like a season finale. Um, so I'm really looking forward to what they're going to bring for the actual season finale. Um, a couple of things I just want to say real quick before we leave. Um, hey, our podcast is now on iTunes and Google Play. So you can go on there and download the podcast. We actually have all the Take the Black podcasts from the past, what, two, three years now, Razor? I believe um, so, yeah. so we have them all down there. So please go ahead, and if you want to go ahead and subscribe, um, comment, whatever, we would really appreciate that. Um, I would also like to thank everybody who live tweets the episode with us. Uh, it's really awesome to kind of watch it from everybody else's point of view and their perspective. So I just want to say thank you very much to all the people who come back every single week and they chat with us on on the uh, on twitter and stuff like that so i just wanted to say that real quick well i'm hoping that we do we do get some kind of uh some kind of prologue from dance with dragons i hope i hope to see uh some kind of resolution to uh bran I, we know that we saw bran in the trailer right yes right so we know we, we will see bran again um hopefully we'll get uh a, a definitive answer to Jon snow or what's inside the Tower of Joy once and for all. I don't think Maybe. we will, but anyways. I hope that we do. I hope that we get to see that. Um, and um, I want to see what's, what's going on with Littlefinger and Sansa. Like, hey, you know, is he going to offer marriage between him and her, or, or Sweet Robin and her, or is she going to stand up for herself and say, no, I don't need a man? You know, like, what's, what's going to happen there? And is John going to be declared king in the north, the ward in the north now that he's taken over and He's he's basically he's the alpha male right now. I, I, I want to see what happens with John, or is he going to do his duty and keep fighting duty. the White Walkers? I said duty. Uh, we were all twelve years old. Uh, but anyway, um, and that's your what phrase. Don't forget the phrase. Yeah, what's going to yeah. happen there? That that was interesting to me that they would wait to pull that in. I got to think something big happens there. Well, we know Arya is leaving Broadway. I almost and, uh, wonder if Jamie might be. Done with the phrase. You know, I don't know. I, he I, takes I, them all why, out. Is Jane, what, why is Jamie still there and not hurrying home to Cersei's that's trial? What that's, I'm what saying. I'm... that's that's mm-hmm. the only reason he would go is if he's like, look, I'm done with these idiots. They're morons. We got to get rid of them. And I, that's the only reason I could think he would go up to the twins. Well, Walter Frey in the trailer does say, um, what does he say? Something he says about the, the phrase of the, the Lannister sends the, Lannister the, Lannister the, Lannister the, Lannister the regard. Right. Exactly. And that so, seemed like too big of a callback for me not to Jamie just be like, oh, yeah, now that you mentioned I don't, that. Yeah, I don't think Jamie's going to like that too much. Yeah, so that, that'll be interesting. So um, that's pretty much what's going on in this episode. We, we've talked about the Battle of the Bastards, the Battle of the Marine, the Fire and Ice. We've talked about the trailer. So we're looking forward to episode 10. Season 6, the finale of The Winds of Winter, and we'll be back next Monday night to talk about that with probably, hopefully we'll have a full panel. We'll have Corey first of his name back. Maybe we'll, we'll even have Dan join us, the editor-in-chief of Winter is Coming, hopefully. 
Um, and we'll be back to talk about the finale and everything that we're going to be doing in the off season with Take the Black. We got some exciting stuff coming up. So check us out and definitely go to iTunes and subscribe and leave some comments. We greatly appreciate it. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next Monday. Walar Mukulis. And make no mistake, the dead are coming. Dragons do not do well in captivity. How do you know this? That's what I do. I drink and I know things. They have no idea what's going to happen. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Saving money on everything for your next project at Menards. It doesn't matter what job you're up against. Works cordless power tools and lawn equipment have the power for you to get the job done faster and easier. The PowerShare 20-volt batteries run longer on a single charge, and they can be used with other tools. Check out Menards' entire selection of Works cordless power tools and lawn equipment. Plus the weekly flyer today on Menards.com. Save big.